All right, Proof listeners, Kevin Pang here. This week for a change, it's story time from yours truly. It's June of 2012, and my dad sent me an email that would change our family. The subject line read, Forward, Jeffrey Pang sent you a video. You know what happens when relatives forward you emails, right? You ignore it. Well, I did too. Fast forward a few weeks. My mother called. Kevin, have you seen Dad's YouTube video yet? Well, I hadn't. Work was busy, I was nearly married, and there were more important things than watching some YouTube video my dad shared. But eventually, I did watch it. And what happened next knocked me back. I'll bring you back to that moment when I clicked play. Okay, elevator music? Eh, kind of cheesy. Produced by a company called Creative Productions. Oh, the EAT in Creative was highlighted. Okay, it's pretty clever. All right, let's see. Title screen. Catherine's mom, Shanghainese green onion pancakes. Okay, Catherine's the name of my mom. Her mom is Shanghainese. Okay, uh, wait, there's a photo of my mom and my grandma, and there's a photo of a crispy green onion pancake. I ate hundreds of these growing up. And now there's a list of ingredients, and it looks like my mom is demonstrating how to make scallion pancakes? You're telling me my dad, who's about as technologically savvy as a ham radio, made a YouTube cooking video? What in the world? But that's not what was most surprising. What was surprising was that he would keep making these cooking videos over the following months and years, These cheesy, unnarrated videos filled with the occasional typo and grammatical error made on Windows Movie Maker, one recipe right after the other? Before I knew it, my dad, a man in his 60s filming with what I understand to be a Canon power shot, had over one million views. Today on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, the story of how that happened. It's about family, and fighting, what happens when immigrants move to a new country and cultures clash. And it's a story about how my dad became the world's most unlikely YouTube star. I'm Kevin Pang. Stick around. You won't believe this story. I still don't. The world of food is vast. That's exactly why Augusta Scoffier School of Culinary Arts offers a wide range of programs. Take a class in plant-based culinary arts or hospitality and restaurant operations management and so much more. With campuses in Boulder, Colorado and Austin, Texas, Escoffier focuses on food innovation and technique development. And if being on campus isn't the right fit for you, Escoffier offers 100% professional online diplomas and degrees with real-world externships. Graduates can enter their careers with practical skills and knowledge, setting the stage for career success. If you want more information, visit escoffier.edu to learn more. That's E-S-C-O-F-F-I-E-R dot E-D-U. This story begins in 1980s Hong Kong. Hong Kong was a British colony back then. The city was modern, prosperous. 
But many young families were fearful of a looming date, July 1st, 1997. That was the day Hong Kong would revert to Chinese sovereignty. Half a million people emigrated from Hong Kong to North America and Australia in the late 80s and 90s. My parents, sister, and I were among them. We landed in Toronto, where it seemed to snow eight months out of the year. After a few years, we settled in Seattle, where it seemed to rain eight months out of the year. It was a normal suburban childhood. I played Nintendo all the time. My sister loved Hello Kitty. We took piano lessons. Asian humble brag warning, we got straight A's. But in the Pang household, two cultures existed under one roof. Now notice I didn't say coexist. By day, I was steeped in Americana. Baseball, KFC, Saturday Night Live, saying the F word. By night, my switch flipped Chinese, spoke Cantonese, wore slippers around the house, called any adults not my parents, auntie and uncle. My favorite drink, soy milk from Vitasoy. If you know, you know. This cultural rice porridge was good in some ways, but not so good in others. Around the time I was a teenager, I began bringing home ideas that confounded my very Chinese parents. I was the most sarcastic, snarky little bastard back then. I'll give you an example. Remember Dana Carvey's character, the church lady from SNL? The uptight woman who thought everyone was a sinner? My parents would chastise me for something, and I'd respond in my best church lady voice, Well, isn't that special? I thought it was hilarious. My parents, though, were completely confused. There were times when you maybe were sarcastic, and they didn't appreciate that humor, didn't completely understand that humor, and that would get into some arguments. That's my sister. I'm Karen Pang. I am Kevin's sister, and I also happen to be a clinical psychologist in Seattle. Yes, my sister is a clinical psychologist. Folks, I can't make this up. Karen is the sensible one in the family. She's the one who got her PhD. She's the one who witnessed and remembered the family strife, while I blocked it out from my memory. I asked Karen whether my sarcasm was getting lost in translation. As in, were our parents interpreting what I was saying as the literal truth? I don't know if I can generalize to, you know, other Asian folk or other Chinese folk, but I think certainly our parents were interpreting it as literal. They might have been able to appreciate the nuance of sarcasm when watching TV and someone else was doing it, but I think right in front of them, it was just, (laughs) it was hard to interpret for them. My sister never got into blowout arguments with my dad. I did, though. My dad and I never argued about politics or philosophy or anything of substance. We'd get into fights about stupid, trivial things. Maybe he didn't like the tone of my voice or the way I rolled my eyes at him. To my Chinese dad, that's not how children treated their parents. Children were deferential, respectful. They didn't say, yeah, whatever, man, you're so ignorant. My sister remembers one specific incident that boiled over into a screaming match. I had nearly forgotten about it until she brought it up. The bleached hair blow-up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) It was, um, I mean, you were away. You were down in California for 
three months and you came home and out of nowhere you had this Mark McGrath bleach blonde hair. Right? Oh my God. Like it was hideous. Oh my God. Sugar Ray was really big during then, right? Maybe part of you wanted to kind of give a middle finger. I don't know, be rebellious, but I don't see it as anything more than what an 18 year old would do to piss off their parents. Or maybe just, you know, to, to be part of a trend. Who knows? But mom and dad freaked out, just freaked out. <laughs> Oh my, okay, do, do you remember specifics? I must have blocked this from my memory. It's probably healthy that you blocked it from your memory. I remember they must have picked you up from the airport. I remember you getting out of the car and the garage, walking up the stairs, and there was already tension and yelling, something about you know disowning your background, something along those lines. At some point, I just stopped speaking Chinese to my parents. Defiantly, I only spoke English to them. I'm thinking, we're in America. That's what we speak here. I still can't really explain why. By this time, I was in college studying journalism at Southern Cal. You know that saying, distance makes the heart grow fonder? Well, this was the opposite of that. It felt like things were drifting apart. I never told them what my life was like in school, about friends I made or romantic relationships I had. I talk on the phone once a week, mostly to my mom, about nothing in particular. My conversations with my dad were even more calorically empty. We had two-minute conversations about nothing at all. Here now, a dramatic recreation of a typical phone call with my dad circa 2001. Playing the part of my dad, Jeffrey Pang, is Jeffrey Pang. Hey, how are you? Good. Son, how are you? Good. Uh, what did you have for dinner tonight? Mmm, bay, pot chop rice. Oh, neat. Sounds delicious. Um, doing anything this weekend? Just going to Costco with Mom. Cool, cool. I love Costco. Okay, nice talking to you. Bye. Most of the time, our relationship wasn't tense. Really, it was because there was no relationship. We talked once a week. I'd come home to Seattle twice a year. There were barely any interactions. It was like I was staying at a free bed and breakfast. I wouldn't even call my dad, Dad. Instead, I'd say, hey, how's it going? As if his legal name was Hey. It must have been a way for me to emotionally detach from someone I barely knew. More often than not, whenever I went home to Seattle, there'd be some argument about the dumbest thing in the world. Then I'd head back to school. Things cooled down. We'd have those two-minute phone calls. And the whole process started back up again. Looking back all these years later, I asked my sister Karen, the clinical psychologist, to do something I've never asked her to do before. Could she diagnose what went wrong? That's a tricky one. Well, first off, I would say there is nothing that is diagnosable, nor should a family member ever diagnose another family member I'm going to put out there. You know, but I don't think that there was any sort of mental health disorder that led to these arguments. Um, I think, honestly, it just was family members not being too effective in interpersonal 
situations, right? People not seeing eye to eye, family members not feeling validated by one another, not listening. While the situation with my family was kind of meh, professionally, I was hitting my stride. After graduating with a degree in journalism, my dream of becoming a newspaper reporter was coming true. You guys remember newspapers, right? It's like Twitter on paper. At 23, I was hired on staff at the Chicago Tribune. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? Well, look, Frank Steen, you're both on the story, Nettle. Oh, these were exciting times. Chasing scoops, covering court cases, racing back to the newsroom to file my story on deadline. I was going to be the next Woodward and or Bernstein. One day, my editor pulled me aside and presented an opportunity. They invited me to join the features department and write about food. Look, I really wanted to be a foreign correspondent, but food media jobs don't come around too often. So after much thought, I said yes. And that was the start of my food writing career. What I didn't know was that would become the catalyst that would put my family relationship down a whole new path. This story isn't just about me, of course. You haven't heard much from my dad, Jeffrey. He grew up in 1950s Hong Kong. This was a dense, crowded, chaotic city on the South China Sea. Just imagine being a poor kid back then. My father cannot afford to buy any toys from me. He's only uh, just only a teacher. And my mother is a uh, not work. My mother is only a housewife. So we have no extra money to buy toys. We have no TV. Even we don't have a way deal to. But my dad does have one indelible memory as a kid. Twice a day, his mom, my grandmother, would bring him along to the market. Here, as a five-year-old, his food education began. She teach me, you know, the about how to choose the fresh or any, you know, what's the, the quality of the food, like the eggplant. You know, you need to, you know, to buy the shiny color. Per, like the purple, it's not purple anyway, it's a lavender color. And the bouncing, so that would be the best. I love to learn because every time when I go to after the market, she will buy me something. She will take me to, to the, you know, to have the noodle or buy some snack for me. So that's why I'm happy to go to the market with her. I asked whether grandma was a good cook. Oh, excellent cook. She taught me everything, you know, how to steam fish, how to cook veggie, you know, how to stew pot, everything. So food was important in our Chinese culture. Yeah. The food brings the family together. And uh, you can learn a lot of things, you know, from the food, you know, and uh, this is a culture, education. I'm somewhat ashamed to admit this, but that conversation you just heard, it's the first substantive conversation I've had with my dad about him, maybe ever. Like a lot of Asian families I know, we're not the most expressive with our emotions. 
Rather than linger on about our feelings, we tend to transmit those difficult conversations onto something else, like food. Food was our emotional proxy. We've shared more bowls of noodles than we've said the word sorry to each other. This is not an exaggeration. Growing up, my dad was something of an opaque figure. There were times when he'd be gone months at a time on business in China. He held a number of jobs, import-export, restaurant supply, air conditioning. He even tried to open a coffee shop in China. I never really asked. I guess that's on me. You know, in retrospect, it's not that surprising he would eventually create a YouTube cooking channel. But I was none the wiser then. I was too busy focusing on my career. When I became a food writer at 24, I had zero experience. So I poured over books, exposed myself to new cuisines, soaked up as much culinary knowledge as I could. When it came time to write about Chinese cooking, there weren't a lot of great sources to turn to. Even as recently as a decade and a half ago, this American concept of Chinese food was not very nuanced. Generally speaking, Chinese food in America was, you know, Generoso's chicken, egg rolls, crab rangoons, things like that. Regional Chinese food from Sichuan or Hunan was still rare to find stateside. So, who did I turn to for guidance? Well, my dad. I remember the first time my family visited me since I moved to Chicago. We headed to a dim sum restaurant in Chinatown. And you guessed it, my dad and I got into some stupid argument that morning. As we sat at that restaurant, both of us still seething, the conversation slowly turned to the extravagant spread of dim sum before us. There were plates of shumai, the pork and shrimp dumpling. He was describing how the wrapper should hold the filling. He described it this way in Cantonese. It should caress and wrap like a dress on a woman like petals of a flower, like prongs on a diamond ring. It was the most eloquent words I've ever heard my dad utter, and it was about a dumpling. That meal became the basis of an article I wrote in the Chicago Tribune. The headline, Dim Sum with Dad. You know how some dads teach their kids to swim or ride a bike? Well, not mine. But he did teach me how to tell a good dim sum restaurant from a great one. You know, I never thought you'd be a food writer. But when you told me, you know, you will become a food writer, I was so happy, you know. After the break, how my dad became an accidental YouTube star. Who doesn't like trying new wines? Naked Wines makes it super easy to do just that. Not only do they deliver wine directly to your front door, they also fund some of the world's most experienced independent winemakers to produce their passion projects. When you join their 300,000 member angel community, you're helping to fund hundreds of exclusive wines you can't find anywhere else. Each wine is the culmination of the passion and artistry of an experienced vintner. So, join the community and get your angel wings. Get started today and save 100 bucks off your first order of $140. A six-bottle case starts at just 
visit nakedwines.com slash holidayproof21 and have yourself a glass of your own. Naked Wines, from the winemaker to your door. You deserve a kitchen that works for you. Kohler sinks come in varying depths and basins so that you get your perfect fit. Their workstation sinks provide accessories to support all of your washing, rinsing, and storage needs. All of Kohler's sinks and faucets are designed to make your kitchen look its best while still getting your cooking goals accomplished. And what a relief that is, especially during the holidays. Visit Kohler.com to learn more. Let's recap the story. Our Chinese family immigrated to America. Two stubborn males from two separate cultures lived under the same roof. Fighting ensued between me and my dad. Then I became a food writer, and we found something in common. Despite all that, we still got into screaming matches. I mean, a lot. At the same time, I'd also call him whenever I needed guidance on Chinese cooking. You remember those two-minute nothing phone calls? You know, the, hello, how's it going? You going to Costco chats? Well, we talked for half an hour about dongpo pork, the sweet, meltingly tender braised pork belly dish. He would school me on fried rice, like how you should always use cold leftover rice instead of fresh rice. When we talked about food, we'd have long, substantive, meaningful conversations. During those calls, things were calm. Then, that email arrived in my inbox. The one with the YouTube link I didn't watch for a few weeks. You know, cheesy music, the picture of my mom and grandma, the green scallion pancakes, the channel with over a million views. Remember, this was 2012. That's a pretty impressive figure back then. It's not like today, where you can get kicked in the groin and get a million views on TikTok. What made that figure even more improbable is how lo-fi these videos are. I don't say that pejoratively. There's a real charm to them. The videos are shot on my dad's Canon PowerShot, which he bought from Best Buy for a few hundred bucks. It's edited on Windows Movie Maker. The soundtrack is royalty-free piano music, something you'd hear in a suburban day spa or something. There's no narration, no faces, just hands and pans and ingredients. It's kind of cheesy, and it's kind of great. When my dad's YouTube channel started taking off, my sister Karen and I were, well, flabbergasted. It's like, holy smokes, like who is watching this? How on earth did this actually get so many views? Never would have thought that this kind of cheesy, made-at-home video that I thought was really just for you and I as an instructional video was going to be watched by anyone outside of our home. His most popular video was his recipe for Chin Kiang-style pork ribs. I ate this all the time growing up. He takes spare ribs, chop them into cubes, fry them up, and sauce it with a savory, sweet glaze of Chinese black vinegar. It was sticky and fatty and crispy, and I'd slurp the meat off the bone in one go. Another one of his videos was Portuguese chicken, This is a Hong Kong take of a dish from Macau. Bone-in chicken cooked in this thick coconut curry sauce. 
It's rich and comforting over rice. We'd eat that twice a month growing up. Something struck me as I watched my dad's cooking videos, amateur production values and all. This was a culinary trip down memory lane. Sweet and sour pork, honey walnut shrimp, baked pork chop rice. I was 15 years old again, sitting at the dinner table. That snarky little kid who was about to say something sarcastic, well, he was too preoccupied to speak. That kid had food in his mouth. My dad makes modest money from these YouTube videos. Not like Kardashian influencer coin, but maybe 75 bucks a month. Enough to take my mom out for a nice meal. For a while, he was getting enough traction where he'd make a new video each month. Exo chili sauce, beef noodles, a Hong Kong take on borscht, more like a minestrone than the Russian soup. At last count, he's made 30 cooking tutorials. Some have 400 views, others have over half a million. So the question remains, why does my dad do this? What's his motivation? He's retired, so maybe this helps pass the time. Maybe he gets a kick out of being a YouTube quasi-celebrity. His dream was always to be on that show, Iron Chef, walking through Kitchen Stadium with theatrical smoke, the crowd cheering. Or maybe there's another reason. There's one person who knows my dad better than anyone, and that's my mom, Catherine. She's always been the buffer between me and my dad, or more accurately, the person caught in the middle. She was raised in Hong Kong, but went to school in Canada, so she gets both Asian and Western perspectives. As I came to discover, the YouTube channel was an idea from both my parents. So my grandfather's uh, sister-in-law used to live with my grandparents, and I'm very close to her. And she cooked for all of us, especially on the Chinese New Year or any uh, autumn festival any kind, they would make a lot of good Chinese, uh, Shanghainese dishes. My favorite was the sweet and sour crispy fish, fried fish. And um, when I tried to visit her, like uh, she moved to New York when I uh, was a teenager. And uh, when I tried to ask her how to, I want her to give me the recipe. And she, I think she get older and older and doesn't know how to um, explain to me. And when I ask her, she just said, oh, I forgot, I forgot. So I feel really bad. And I don't want all those traditional recipes to be forgotten. That's why dad and me try to think about making video for you and Karen so that when you guys are uh, adult or when you grow older, when you remember the dishes that dad used to cook, you will know how to cook them. When I try to teach you how to cook, you always say, of course, you know, by the time you're teenagers, okay? So you will say, no, 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 and wait for a minute, wait for a minute. So that's why I think if I put this, you know, onto the YouTube, when everybody have the chance to learn and also Probably you will, one day you will learn from that video too. My food writing career brought me to America's Test Kitchen in 2020. I don't write as much these days. 
I'm more of a business and strategy guy now. One day, I was thinking about how people enjoyed watching and learning from YouTube cooking shows. And then, a crazy idea hit me. I know Chinese food. My dad knows Chinese food. What if we made a Chinese cooking show on YouTube? Together. If there was any deeper emotional reason behind this idea, well, then I buried it deeper than the bleach hair blow-up. I really just thought it would be great TV. I brought up the idea of the cooking show to my sister to gauge her reaction. I thought you were crazy. <laughs> I was really worried. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, what are you doing? Things are pretty smooth right now. Why are we rocking the boat? Why do this? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Anytime you're with someone that you know, where your opinions and your beliefs don't line up entirely when you spend even more time with them, right? There's just greater uh, likelihood that it's going to lead to some sort of disagreement. And so I thought, oof, you want to spend that much time with dad? <laughs> Is that a good idea? I called him up one day, my palms sweating, and told him my idea. My dad was skeptical at first. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm not professional. I'm, I'm, I, I, I never do anything in front of the camera, okay? I don't have a good voice. I don't have a good-looking face. So that's why I don't want to do that. He was embarrassed about his English. I told him, well, that's why we'd be cooking together. And look, if he's nervous about spending an entire week with me, I'll fly mom out too. Consider it a free trip to Boston. I'll even pay for a lobster roll at Legal Seafood. He said yes. Please step in, letting others pass. Once again, we have a completely full airplane to board. Want to make sure we depart on time. Welcome aboard a flight to Boston. This September, my mom, dad, and I flew to Boston to film four episodes of a new Chinese cooking show from America's Test Kitchen. We even had a name for the show, Hunger Pains. I mean, it's kind of perfect, right? We're going to be making Chinese dishes like fried rice and braised eggplants and shu mai. We filmed a few scenes in Boston's Chinatown. Think the opening to Perfect Strangers, but with two Chinese dudes gallivanting, pointing at roast ducks in the window, stuffing dumplings down their throats. We even took a selfie in front of Chinatown Gate. It's the first selfie I've ever taken with my dad. Back at the Test Kitchen Studios, we cooked up four dishes. Shumai, fried rice, braised eggplants, and crispy orange beef. He told viewers to look for eggplants that are lavender and shiny. He demonstrated how to wrap a dumpling. I'm learning well. Oh, okay, but you don't want to learn before, when I, we're young. You're telling me I used to complain when I was a kid? Oh, you complain a lot, you know. Why everyday steamed rice? Why everyday congee? Off camera, he second-guessed his English. He kept referring to the script. He was fidgety. But I've been through enough of these video shoots. I told him, it's going to be just fine. And in the end, the filming went off without a hitch. And for this recipe, go to americastestkitchen.com. Please like this video and subscribe. All righty, cut. That's a wrap. All right. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Jeffrey. <laughs>
amazing job this week. Really, really good job. After five days of filming, Hunger Pangs was a wrap. It's the most time I've ever spent with my father as an adult. Towards the end, it all became a blur for me. But I do remember one conversation distinctly. The film crew was chit-chatting right as we were about to leave. You're hearing the voices of the director, Eric, and cameraman, Matt. I was telling your mother, this would be nice to have, though, for, for you guys, too. I mean, sure. I mean, I wish I had a cooking show with my grandfather. I wish I had that with my dad, too. That was really nice. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Look, it would be a storybook ending to say the fighting stopped, we had a hug-it-out moment, that we both cried in each other's arms and apologized for years of conflict, and everyone lived happily ever after. That did not happen. Things now are fine. I think I was pleasantly, like, I was wrong in that. Like, it, it seems like you two actually found, you know, a common interest. And that's actually led to some greater bonding. And the common interest is fried rice? Yes, exactly. So, remember how I thought my dad's legal name was Hay? During the five day in Boston, in the studio, you call me there, you know, you know. Many times. Many, many times. <laughs> that is about, I think it's um, uh, maybe more than the last 10 years, you call me there, you know. You never call me at together. I feel so happy. Yes. Even when I lay down in the bed, I feel very fortunate because now you call me there. I asked my mom whether she thought my dad enjoyed filming. He loves it. He loves it. He has eye-opening. I mean, it's a great experience for us to see how a video, I mean, a professional video, how it's made. And then with all the light, the sounding system, all the video camera, of course, it's very, we are um, impressed and amazed. And we didn't even argue once. I think he's happy. He's happy. Especially he can work with you. I think never in his dream he will work with you in a studio together to make a cooking video. I think that's his dream to make. I mean, of course, he would love to be on television or radio, anything with you. I mean, that's never in his dream that it really happened. When I think about fathers and sons and how they bond, some go camping. Some might visit every Major League Baseball stadium in the country. Some go on a weekend golfing trip in Scottsdale. But how many people in the world can actually say, we made a YouTube cooking show together? Look, there's a good chance we'll get into another argument. I'm certain of it. But that's how the real world works. Stories don't always resolve with a neat bow on top. Life gets kind of messy. But this much is true. When those stupid arguments are a distant memory, we'll still have this cooking show. And hopefully someday my son, Liam, will watch his dad and grandpa cook on TV. This show is for him, too. Never thought about and never even imagined to have that chance to cook with you and to show the cooking to the public. I'm very surprised. 
even three months ago, before you invite me to do this, I never thought about that, you know. But thank you, thank you, you, you know, give me a chance to do the cooking, to share our cooking, our family cooking, to the people. The first season of Hunger Pangs from America's Test Kitchen is on YouTube right now. And it would make my dad awfully happy if you checked it out. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer Caitlin Kelleher. I'm senior producer Caroline Rickert. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by... Matt Boynton. And... Anya Gzeshik. Of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sound's composer theme music. Additional music by Cal Forster and Jordan Pearson. Ken Margolis. Is our director of post-production, and our line producer is... Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by... Angela Yang. Special thanks to Christy Morrison, Eric Fritas, Akwazi Asabere, Matt Young, Jen Kuchidi, Keith McManus, Simon Savlyev, Yorgos Sivernidis, Matt McCluskey, and the Hunger Pangs video crew. Thanks also to Johanna Lapiat for keeping meticulous notes on the studio audio. Hey, Johanna, good luck in L.A. And, of course, thanks to my parents and my sister, Karen. Jack Bishop is the Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen and David Nussbaum is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors for this season, Kohler, Naked Wines, Augusta Scoffier School of Culinary Arts, and Green Pan Cookware. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.